Well, uh, we've all obviously been moved, if not shaken, by the events of this week. I was really glad to see our friend Phil in the back there who has run Boston Marathon and run a lot of marathons. I was glad to see him here, and he wasn't running that this time, but how do you, how do you, how do you move on from here when your, your heart just gets so broken, doesn't it? I mean, there's just something that happens to all of us when, uh, when something like that happens. So, you know, it's so important as we go through our lives and encounter these things over which we really have no control, it's so important to take them to the Lord and just say, Lord, and then whatever else is after that in your prayer. And it's so important to do that, you know, not just individually, but for us to come together as a church, as a community of faith, and just say, Lord, and just to dwell in the presence of the Lord and the, you know, everything that that brings so this morning what I'd like us to do is just, just take a little time to do that. To dwell in the presence of the Lord for whatever it is that's going on inside of you after the things that have happened this week. And, uh, and just say, Lord, and whatever comes after that in your prayer. So Lord, we come to you this morning and we lay this before you. We're all struck by this in different ways, Lord, but we we just come and lay it before you and we pray our own prayers and collectively we just make one voice to you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for the strength that you have given us through the power of your Holy Spirit to endure everything, that nothing, neither height nor depth, angels or demons, nothing in all creation will separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we just come to you this morning and we pray that you'll give us the strength of the Holy Spirit not to fall to the lies of the enemy. And we just pray that you will give us the strength to say, we will not fear. That though the earth fall into the sea, though its waters quake with their surging, we will not fear. There is a stream that makes glad the city of God. And we just pray, Father, for that flowing stream of your great love and power into our lives. We just pause briefly this morning to freely confess to you that we are not in full control. So come, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was uh, sometime in the winter of 1994, I think, that I took Gary Basinger and Don Ivers to two adjacent storefronts on Wedgwood Drive. Now, I'm not talking about the Wedgwood drive up by Polaris. 
I'm talking about the Wedgwood Drive that comes off of Sullivan near Wilson Road. I'm talking about that Wedgwood Drive. There were two storefronts there, 585 and 587 Wedgwood Drive. They're connected to the building that also houses the Westgate Cocktail Lounge. Oh, yeah. Everybody always seems to know where the Westgate Cocktail Lounge is. I don't know what's up with that. But it was those two storefronts that uh, I felt like the Lord had led me to. We were a church of uh, all of about 70 people, I think, and we'd been meeting in the West Franklin Elementary School and going in early Sunday mornings and setting up our gears, setting up our chairs, setting up our stuff, tearing it down. And I was just getting kind of tired of all that. And so I'd asked the Lord if we could have like a place that we could rent that would be like our spot. And so I, I took Gary and Don, both of these guys who are still cherished members of our fellowship here, uh, and they were the functioning board at the time, and I took them into those two storefronts. Now one had sometime before that been used as a beauty parlor. And it still had that smell of, what is that, like formaldehyde you people use? Or what is, what is that smell? I don't know. Whatever it is you do to preserve women, you could, it was still sort of lingering in the air, you know? My email address is... The other side was uh, the same size. And uh, it was... It was, had been used as like a junk room for the Wedgwood Apartments. So there was just stuff in there. It was piled high. And I remember walking in there with those two guys and saying, come on in here, I want to show you something. And uh, they knew that we were going to look at a potential site for our church to meet and do its ministry. And uh, I remember like crawling over stuff. There was a big metal sign and I remember climbing up on the top of this thing up front and, and saying, can you see it? Can you see it? And I was saying, you know, the stage could be here and we could set up our instruments here and we could have this huge sanctuary that's about the size of one of our double classrooms in the back here now. And the other side we could subdivide into like Sunday school classrooms. And it seemed real easy because... That was, those was in the day, that was in the days where we didn't know you needed to have a permit to do this stuff. We lived by it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. <laughs> Turns out eventually that catches up with you. But I just, I remember saying in some form or another, can you see it? And those two guys, you know, they, they love me. They really do, and I love them. And they were like, <laughs> yeah, Tom, <laughs> we can see it. And that's all I needed. <laughs> I didn't really understand the question I was asking him at the time. I thought I was asking him a simple question. Can you see the logistics of how we could clear all this junk out and turn this side into a sanctuary and the other side into a Sunday school classroom set? Can you see the logistics of that? I thought that's the question that I was asking. In hindsight, I was asking them a much bigger question. 
I wasn't asking them, can you see it? But can you see all of you? Can you see through the moment that we're in right now as a little fledgling church on the west side of Columbus? Can you see through that moment to the many, 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 many of you now who come and find life in the context of this perfectly imperfect fellowship? They may have understood the question better than me. But in either case, they said, yeah, Tom, we can see it. And I'm looking around this room right now, and I'm seeing faces of those of you who helped us haul the junk out of this. And at church, in that place, and did ministry in that area. And then I'm also seeing the many, 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 many of you who, by God's timing, have come since then. And that whole aspect of seeing, seeing, really brings us to our third mountaintop in this series, the treasures of the mountaintops. I promised you a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago, that we would be visiting some mountaintops in the Bible, and at the top of each would be a treasure, something that God meant for us to have so that we could walk out our walk with integrity, authenticity, and power. And uh, we started on Mount Moriah in that Genesis chapter 22 in that epic struggle where God called Abraham to sacrifice his own son Isaac. And the treasure we found at the top of Mount Moriah was simply this, that there's always blessing on the other side of obedience. There's always blessing You know, the blessing might not be kind of how we define it, but there's always major, discernible, experiential blessing on the other side of obedience. That when God calls us to obey, he's calling us essentially closer to him. And when we obey, we live more closely with him, and we live a life of blessing. Last week we looked at Mount Sinai where God delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses and The treasure there was that God brings order out of chaos. That the book of Exodus begins in chaos and it ends in this glorious order of the people of Israel following the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And in the middle of it sets Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments are given. The Ten Commandments weren't given to penalize us, to control us, to enslave us, or to judge us. But in that respect, the Ten Commandments were given to bring order out of chaos and that God wants to bring order out of our chaos when we bring it to him. Well, today I'd like for us to visit mountain number three, and it's Mount Mount Nebo. That's just kind of fun to say. Mount Nebo. And uh, it's referenced in Deuteronomy and the later parts of Deuteronomy, and I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 34, and uh, basically a summary of the first four verses. And there it says, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him. Hold on to that. 
There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan and as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you'll not cross over into it. We'll get to that part in a couple of minutes. But this was the end of Moses' life. A great deal had happened in the previous 120 years. And he was allowed to see with his eyes something that he had been pursuing in his heart. And the point is that on Mount Nebo, God gave Moses a clear vision of what he'd been doing with and in his life. And where I want to go today is, is just pointing out that the Bible is consistent, that God leads through vision. Throughout the Old Testament, God led the people through the revelation of specific visions. In Genesis chapter 15, there was Abram who became Abraham. And Abram was called out of his tent. He was already well along in his years. He didn't have any kids. He was called out of his tent on one, one night, and, and it must have been a clear, probably dark sky. And God said, hey, Abram, look up and tell me what you see. And he said, I see stars. And God said, tell me how many. I don't know, Lord, only you know. You made them. You know how many. And, and then God said this to Abraham. He said, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. As many as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. And then Abraham then was guided by that sense of vision. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw vision. I saw the Lord, he said, high and lifted up and seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And these, these heavenly beings were calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at one point, after cleansing Isaiah, the voice from the throne says, Who shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. So from that vision, he said, I'm ready. From, but it was from the vision that then he walked out his life. The first chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah who's only a boy. Because he, he said, Lord, you know I'm only a boy. And the Lord said, yeah, don't say I'm only a boy. I know, I made you, I know. Actually, before you were even a boy, I had plans for you. And to Jeremiah... He had this vision, and God says, what do you see? He says, well, I see an almond branch, I see a boiling pot. And from this, he said, well, and then he told him what he was going to do through that vision, and Jeremiah lived his life from that vision. Ezekiel had this crazy vision. Some have tried to assign it to alien visitation. (laughs) Wheels and wheels and, (laughs) you know. I think God was into science fiction a long time ago. But he had this vision, and it guided his life. And so my point is, is that if you read the Bible, you see that these people were guided by vision from God. And, and it's my deeply held belief now that God has a vision for every authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? It's my deeply held belief now that God has a, 
a specific vision, a life vision for every authentic follower of Jesus Christ. That if you are serious, if you are passionate about following Jesus, God has a vision to give to you for living out your life. God has a purpose for you to fulfill that he'll reveal to you and you can live according to that revelation. You might be wanting to argue with me and say, are you sure it's for everyone? Isn't that sort of thing just reserved for, you know, sort of the big shots of the Bible? And if you were talking about the Old Testament, I would say yes, but not the New Testament. One of the great distinctions between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that in the first covenant, this kind of revelation, this kind of experience with God was reserved for a few. But part of the, one of the things that Jesus did for us in dying on the cross, rising from the dead, sending the Holy Spirit, is that he created opportunity for every believer to have this experience with God, including the release of a vision for your life. If you want to read about that, you could see that in uh, Acts chapter 2, when uh, Peter uses that to explain what's happening when the Holy Spirit's poured out on, on the church. Anybody get to Acts yet? Yeah? Who? Did you get the two? So the Holy Spirit comes, and like this craziness happens, everybody's speaking in tongues, and everybody else is going, ah, right? What's going on? People are going, what's going on? Are these guys drunk? Is really what they said. They just get drunk? And uh, it sounds like a party. I don't know. That was the first actual Christian church service, and people thought they were drunk. How we got to sitting in rows, pointing in the same direction, waiting for it to be over, I don't know. I do not know how we got this far from people. I mean, does anybody out there go, those people over at the vineyard, I think they drink over there. They really don't, do they? No, we're pretty respectable people. Well, there was an explanation required. Why are all these people ecstatic? And uh, Peter stood up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he explained it. He said, this is the fulfillment of what was said by the prophet Joel that afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on all people. Everybody's going to be, the spirit's going to be available to everyone. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. There's no age distinction. Even on my servants, doesn't matter, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And that is the promise of the New Testament. The distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that it is the heart of God to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. So if we, if, we, if we sit on Mount Nebo with Moses, with this vision that he received, and we look at it and project it through the cross and the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we say that the vision, the kind of vision that God gave to Moses, He also wants to give to Kathy Jones to reveal that to you. And he has, and you live by that. And so the treasure of Mount Nebo is simply this, that it's the desire of God to guide every authentic believer by a clear and compelling sense of vision. That we don't have to make this up as we go along, but that we can have confidence that we're being called, each, every one of us, confidence that we're being called to take the steps that we are taking for his glory. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, catch this, to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. 
God has made a preparation plan for you. God has made a preparation, a purpose for you to fulfill, which God has prepared in advance. They're just waiting for us to find. It's a treasure hunt. Our lives are meant to be a treasure hunt of finding the next part of the adventure with God, falling into his will. This isn't just for trained professionals. But every authentic believer, every authentic follower of Jesus Christ has the same access to the same spirit and living their life guided by this compelling sense of vision. When we talk about vision, what we're talking about is a a God-inspired version of a preferred future. So if you think about the present and some aspect of the present, and it's going to be so unique to you, there is some part of your present that God will get your attention and he will give you a picture of a better future. So the question, if you're saying, well, what's my vision? What does God put in your heart that when you dwell in that for a minute, you get a picture, you get a picture of a better future? That's vision. It's vision. And you were a picture in my heart and in Karen's heart long before you ever arrived. You were a picture in our hearts. We didn't know your names. We didn't know exactly what you looked like. That's probably a good thing. (laughs) But we were compelled to continue on day by day, step by step, and continue to be compelled by this vision of a preferred future, a better picture. And the same is true for you. So what has God set in your heart that you would describe as that would be a better thing. One way to think about vision is where does your compassion rise up? I mean, it's pretty obvious that Karen and I have a deep compassion for the people of India. And that's, that's our thing. And some of you join us in that thing. And some of you are going like, yeah, India, I'm into Ethiopia. I'm into, you know, I'm into downtown Columbus I'm into but there's some place in your world that you have compassion it's that thing we've studied that Greek word splanknizomai that just raises up in us this is an indication that you're dealing with your vision and God has a specific vision I believe for every authentic believer to be guided by now in case you're interested in what I'm saying I want to give you a couple of things I think you should know about living from a godly vision and, and the first is this, is that the nature of the journey is by far more important than the success of reaching the destination. I know that sounds a little like a fortune cookie, but it's true. And it kind of sounds like, you know, well, let's just explain why we're not making progress. That's not it. The nature, the nature of the journey, how we walk the journey is infinitely more important than how far we get down the path. It really is, and I'll tell you why. Well, first let me give you a couple examples. Why wasn't Moses allowed to go into the promised land? Why, why did his path stop there? Does anybody know? Disobedience, right. 
God said, I want you to do it this way. Moses said, well, I've got a better way. And he was angry when he said it. And so he wasn't, it wasn't about moving along, but it was the way in which he was walking at that point that stopped the walk. Anybody know about Abraham? He had this promise of being the father of many nations. His name was changed to the father of many nations. And this promise, the fulfillment of this promise, was a long time in coming. There were no children, there were no children, there were no children. So what does he do? Hagar! And so he sleeps with Hagar, who bears him the son Ishmael. And please just, how could we ever begin to even know how much havoc has been wreaked on the earth because of that disobedience, even today? So it's not how far he got along, but how he walked it. When a vision is received by God, when we understand that I've received this vision, we've got to understand that we have to proceed with that vision according to God's abiding principles revealed to us in the Bible. Because it's how we walk it, not what we accomplish. The end never justifies the means. And I believe it's the journey that God's interested in, not the end. So God gives us a vision to accomplish something for his glory, right? That's in our heads. Here's, what, here's the picture. Guess what? Prepare to gasp. In the end, he doesn't really need our help. I know. In the end, God would be better at fulfilling his own purposes than slowing himself down by recruiting somebody like me. So the accomplishment of the thing, the goal, is not really the essence of it. But it's that as we walk it out, as we respond in obedience to God and walk it out in the character and the nature of God and dynamic life with the Holy Spirit, then he's creating in us an eternal character that will bring him glory forever. And so it's not about what you accomplish, but it's about how you walk it. Does that make sense? Because God doesn't really need our help. But he engages us as part of his sanctifying purposes in each one of us. It's not about success. It's about the walk. I think the American church has all but lost its way in this journey. I am inundated as a pastor with emails Here's how you can grow your church. Here's how you can build a new building. Here's how you can get more money from your people. It turns my stomach. Even the church of America has become so success-oriented and results-driven. You know, this church is growing, and you want to know why? By the accident of God. The only thing that we ever do around here to try to help this church grow is when a service like this gets this full, we go, well, I guess we better have another service, huh? Because of the limits of the room. That's how clever we are in the church growth paradigm. (laughs) I can't tell you how many people over the years ago, we didn't even know you were here. I know. I didn't even think we're in the yellow pages. (laughs) Are there yellow pages still? I don't know. 
I think the American church has all but lost its way in this about results orientation rather than the nature of the walk. I think if through coercion and manipulation a thousand people are pressured into praying the sinner's prayer, then I think such a church should fall on its face and plead to God for forgiveness. So first of all, I just want you, if you're, if you're going to be moving out in a vision, remember it's how you walk it, not how far you get down the path. And second, that there really is a way to get this vision from God. You might be going, well, so how do I, how do I get this vision? What do I got to do? Because I think I have some of your attention. You're like, I'm tired of living this purposeless life, this getting up, you know, making the donuts, digging the ditch, whatever. Uh... You know, how do, I, how do I go from here? How do I, how do I move into being a person who receives, believes, understands they've received a vision from God and lives by it? Three simple steps. The first two won't surprise you. Number one, you must be born again. Are you surprised? This is about a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. The whole vision thing and living out a vision is about being in that place where we have surrendered our lives over to God, we've understood that we are sinners in need of a Savior, have fully embraced by faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and have invited him in to make not only payment for our sins, but to rule our lives as Lord. That's what it means to be born again. And to invite Jesus Christ to come in and change all the price tags and to show us the value of things and to show us how he wants us to walk. That's when we begin living from an eternal perspective. And in reality, listen, we can do good things in our lives that don't count for eternity. They don't really mark eternity. In fact, there are plenty of people who have no knowledge or interest in Jesus Christ who do lots and lots of good things. And they have a picture, a preferred future, a vision, they would call it, and they have the resources or the talent or the ambition and they do good things. But the reality is, is apart from Jesus Christ, they don't count for eternity. They don't mark eternity. And I would rather do one small thing in the company of Jesus Christ that counts for eternity than a thousand great things that don't. I really would. And so you must be born again if you want to live from vision If you want to live from the kind of vision we're talking about here, you must be born again. Number two, prepared to be surprised, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, Jesus said, I'm going away. But he said, it's a good thing that I go away because if I go away, the Father will send another, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit. And through him, you will have dynamic interaction with me. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to live in us, to live large in us, and through him to have dynamic interaction with God. And in reality, the Holy Spirit, listen, is the only God you know, is the only version of God you know. Have you seen the Father? No. Have you seen the Son? No. Any experience you've had with God has been with the Holy Spirit. Even your conversion was not with Jesus per se, but with the Holy Spirit coming and bearing the blood of Jesus into your life and stirring your heart to respond. So the Holy Spirit and dynamic interaction with the Holy Spirit is not optional equipment for charismatics. 
It's the, it's the very core, it's the very essence of a relationship experience with God. The Bible says don't quench the Holy Spirit and give some direction as to how to avoid doing that. But inviting the Holy Spirit to come. You must be born again. If you want to live by vision, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And for some of you, that'll be a dynamic, dramatic thing, and all kinds of crazy things will happen. And many of you, the Holy Spirit will come quietly but thunderously. He'll just come in and start kicking things around and taking over. One more thing I think you need to do if you want to get this vision from God. You must create space for it to be revealed to you. You've got to create some space for it to be revealed to you. You've got to create some time and some place where you can get alone and quiet with God. The Bible says in Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. It's in stillness that God reveals this stuff to us. And, and I know I'm going to sound really old-fashioned here, but I really don't mind, but one of the most devilish things that's happening in our society right now is this thing called connectivity. I mean, some people, I see it all the time, where they are literally addicted, addicted to connecting somehow electronically with others. They can't turn it off. And even when they turn the device off, their mind is still on Facebook or wherever. Now, I don't have an essential problem with any of that until it becomes addictive and creates in us the, the, the incapability of dialing down and being quiet with God. Please, please, guys, give God space and time to come and reveal this to you. Another part of the creating space is giving him your heart. It's about surrender. It's, not, it's about coming and saying, God, uh, whatever your vision is is good. I want it to be your vision. Wherever you call me, wherever, I'll be who you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. If you want to change it right now, I'm ready. I think the mistake a lot of people make is they go, okay, I'm, tired. I'm, I'm quiet here, Lord. I've made the provision. Here's what I'm willing to do. <laughs> and it's not a surrendered heart. And a vision isn't, isn't delivered there. So just keep praying that God just keeps softening your heart and intriguing you with his word and going, man, that is a better thing. But I believe that the church, in this church age, God has a vision for every authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And that's about all I got to say about that. So what do you want to do next? Okay, we could do that. We could do that. Let's ask him. What do you want, Lord? Do you want to heal our sick, save our lost, counsel our troubled, or are these our ideas? Lord, in the context of this moment, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender this church to you. We're your people. It's your church. Change what you want to change. Build what you want to build. Lead where you want to lead. We're listening. Our hearts are surrendered to you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.